You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hey, um, uh, when I was in high school, right, I had this uh, mentor youth pastor who started praying one day, and, and I was going through a period where I felt like God was, um, God was very angry with me. That's how I felt. And he started praying, and as he started praying, he started praying, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for who you are. And then he said this, he said, I just picture you sitting up there in your lazy boy, looking down at us. And I gotta tell you how good that felt. Like it felt really good because for the first time I was like, oh, maybe God's not angry. Maybe God's like this really like informal, like relaxed, kind of loving dad sitting in a lazy boy. Like that was really good for me to hear at that time. I needed to hear that, that was big, right? Um, As I got a little older, I was dating uh, my wife and uh, we went to uh, this one church, and at this church there was a pastor there, and the pastor uh, was a former drug addict, and he said that he likes to think of God as a cosmic parent, and, and so we started talking about why, and he goes, well, listen, like, as a cosmic parent, if I relapse, then this God, God will punish me, like, I'll, I'll have consequences because I relapsed, um, and then he ended up saying, and if I continue to relapse and I continue to mess up my life, then this cosmic parent will, you know, eternally punish me for doing it. So really, this cosmic parent that I have actually makes me my best self, like my best person, keeps me uh, from relapsing, keeps me sober, and keeps me doing well. And I, I thought that was interesting too, because here's this, this idea, uh, his idea of God, which maybe is not mine, but this God is his, his cosmic parent that keeps him at his best, right? I was at a conference last week, and I was speaking at a conference, and somebody stands up and they go, I need you to know that God is vindictive and wrathful and judgmental. And I said, thank you for telling me. Actually, I didn't say anything to that. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that person, the way they view God is, this is God is vindictive and wrathful and judgmental. For some reason, I'm not sure. And it got me thinking, how do we, how, what, what do we think of when we think of God? Somebody tell me, come on, somebody, who? What do you think of when you think of God? White beard. Morgan Freeman, I think we all think of Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Steve, will you turn me down just a little bit? What else do we think of? Don't be afraid. One more, come on, you can do it. Clouds, Clouds. all right, that works. I always think of a formless shadow. Me and, uh, me and Jim were talking about that. My dad, she always says that God is the little, the little thing in your eye, you know that thing? That, and then you try to focus on it and it goes away. <laughs> Right, right. So we all have these different ideas or thoughts about who God is, different, different concepts about who God is in our life. And here's the thing about all our different thoughts and concepts about who God is. All right? Here's the thing about these concepts. They are all, every single one of them are subjective. Every single one of these concepts or ideas or thoughts we have about God, they are subjective. I'm going to say this a different way. We, every single one of us here, me, you, all of us, we create God in our own image. Every single one of us here, we create God in our own image. We will never truly understand how big and how wide and how amazing our God is. We create God in our own, our own image. Now here's the issue with us creating God in our own image. I'm gonna tell you. The issue with us creating God in our own image is that we can control this God. We can control the God that we create in our own image. Okay, so if God is your cosmic parent, Okay, you can control the way God feels about you. As long as I don't start doing drugs again, God's gonna be happy with me. And so all of a sudden, we control that, okay? We control how our God feels. Okay, that's our control. If your God uh, is a God that, you know, is, is a right set of propositions or beliefs, which I think possibly, like some of us here, have a God who's the right set of propositions and beliefs, 
If that's the case, stay here. I want to deconstruct that. It'll be fun. All right? Um, but if that's our God, right, then, then all we got to do is have that right set of propositions, right set of beliefs. And we control that. We, we have those right propositions, right beliefs, and, and that God is happy with us. We control how our God feels about us. The vindictive, uh, wrathful, judgmental God, I dare say you have it the easiest. You have it the easiest because all you got to do is make sure you don't make that God mad. And if you don't make that God mad, that God's happy with you and you control the way that God feels, right? So when we create God in our own image, what we're doing is we are in control of God. We are saying, God, you are mine to possess. You're mine to possess, God. I have you, right? Job's friends, Jen, raise your hand. Who was here last week? Right, Jen read all 37 chapters of Job's friends, right? She did. And, and in all 37 chapters, she said, she said, uh, you know, Job's friends are sitting there telling uh, Job exactly who God was, right? Oh, God, this, this God is a God that is transactional. You must have done something wrong over here, and that's why you're feeling these punishments over here, right? And, and so this whole thing that we have is this God created in our own image. We control this God, right? This God, uh, we're in control of this God. And so when suffering comes along or pain comes along, or anything on that Lent tree comes along, anything, what we do is we go, hang on, God, I'm in control, not you. And so if I'm in control and I possess you, then those things on that tree, the, the pains and the addictions and the sufferings and all the rest, you know, that's, that's not in this framework that we created. This is not in the image that I created you, so now I need to get rid of you, or I need to question you, or I need to wonder what's going on with you. Uh, and, and instead of, we, we, we say when we control God, is we say that wasn't part of the, the plan that I had, okay? And so because it's not part of the plan, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to throw it away. We're at the last week of Lent. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take the mountaintop approach, all right? Let's climb to the highest mountain, Let's take the bird's eye view. Let's take the rocket ship view, whatever you want to call it. Let's do whatever it's going to do to take us uh, uh, it, it, to possibly, just possibly see that, that there's an objective God out there who's way bigger and doing way more than we could ever ask or imagine. Okay, let's, let's just open up our minds to that possibility for one second today because I think it's going to make all the difference. And here's how it's going to feel for us. The second we do this, we're going to lose control. You know what losing control feels like? Not good. <laughs> Losing control doesn't feel good. And all of a sudden, things like the pain that we have on this tree over here are going to uh, feel maybe even a little necessary. And how is that going to feel? That's not going to feel too good. But here's what it's going to do. It's going to get us to a place where we do not possess God. But there's awe and wonder and mystery and magic. Well, not magic, but, but amazing things when God possesses us. Right? So let's do that. Let's talk about that. As Jen described last week, if you were here last week, um, Jen said that we are the audience in a play. This Job is a play that was written. I love that language, Jen, wherever you are. Um, this was a play that was written. And so this playwright, this playwright is, is, is you know, writing this play out for us. And we're, we're part of the audience, but this playwright's also writing to us too. And so what I love is after 38 chapters, okay, or 37 chapters of Job's friends just not shutting up, okay, God finally speaks, God finally shows up and God speaks. And I love it because you just get it in 38 and this playwright uses humor. This playwright's using a lot of humor here, which is a whole other sermon together. In the midst of our suffering, what kind of humor do we have? But anyway, I digress. But this is what God says. He says, then the Lord spoke to Job. He says, who's that that obscures my plan with words and without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. If that was 21st century language, he'd been like, who is this dude that will not shut up? Someone shut him up. He doesn't know what he's saying. 
That's what God would have said. And then this is what God does. God says, hey, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. Tell me if you understand. Who, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While in the morning stars sang and all the angels shouted for joy. Who laid the earth's foundations? Now what we want, if we control God, is we want God to say, here's exactly why this happened and here's what's going to come from it. And instead we get sarcastic God. <laughs> That's what he's doing here. He's going, hey, were you around when I laid the earth's foundations? No. You are not, so shut up. <laughs> In some sense, that's what God's doing. But there's something here, right? There's, let's, let's offer up some perspective. Where were you when I laid the Earth's foundations? Most scientists, they will tell you that the universe is 13.77 billion years old. Okay, that's what they will tell you. Most scientists will tell you that the Earth is right around 5.7 billion years old. Okay, here's what else. Humanity, human beings have been around, most scientists will say, for about 200,000 years. All right, let's create a timeline from this. Pat, I'm going to need your help. Come up here for a second. I'm going to have you take this, all right? Here's the timeline, okay? If I stretch out my arms, and this stretching out my arms is the universe, and is the billions and billions of, uh, of universe that God created, the 13.77 billion years, I need you to do me a favor. Just, just clip the, 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 my middle finger, the nail on my middle finger. Just clip that. Sure? Yeah, just, just a little bit, just a little bit. What Pat did is just erased humanity, okay? That's what he just did. Humanity no longer exists. That's 200,000 years. Do we get how big God is? Do we see that? Thanks, Pat. You did a good job. Yeah, yeah. Pat just, yeah, he just eradicated humanity. That's how big God is. When God says, where were you there when I laid the earth's foundations? We're not talking about, we're talking about 13.77 billion years. We're talking about a timeline that where you clip a fingernail You've erased 200,000 years of humanity. That's how big we're talking here. That thing that you see, that picture that you see, anybody want to guess what that is? That's Earth. Well, I guess it says it. Shoot. Oh, man. It's the wrong one. Yeah, it's Earth. That's Earth. Here's what Carl Sagan says about this Earth. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of particular interest, but for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here, that's home, that's us on everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, doctrines, every hunter, forager, hero, coward, creator, destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother, father, hopeful child, inventor, explorer, teacher of morals, corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint, sinner in the history of our species has lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Where were you? That's what God is saying to Job. You are not mine to possess. I am yours. I possess you. I am bigger than you. I'm doing what you, uh, bigger than all that you can ever ask or imagine. And here you are, Job, and here we are, people. At this point in time, on this timeline of 13.77 billion years, right now here, saying, you know what? My ideologies, they're right. And I shouldn't be suffering. Yeah, everything I feel about God and all the propositions, it's all right. And, and that's not part of it. The suffering's not part of it. And God goes, <laughs> that's what God does. He just sits there and shakes his head and laughs. When we let go of our God, the image that we create with our God, 
we start to see how big our God is, and we start to see that God might, creating, might be creating wonder out of the things that we call suffering and pain and hurt. But he keeps going, this playwright. This cosmic playwright uh, doesn't stop, and he starts talking about the behemoth and the leviathan, which is what we read, which is MM, what Emmon read for us. Um, how many people, raise your hand, have heard of the behemoth and the leviathan before in the scripture? I'm about to disappoint you guys, okay? Um, the behemoth and the leviathan, when I was a kid and I used to read Job, I used to think it was like dinosaurs. I was like, this is incredible, it's dinosaurs. No, it's the Hebrew translation for a hippo and an alligator. <laughs> That's all it is, which is super disappointing, right? Like, I'm a little disappointed by that, but I'm, you know, I'm getting off track. Why? Why is God telling Job about the hippo and, and the alligator? Why? Why? What, what's God trying to accomplish with this? Um, let's talk about hippos for a second. Can we do that? Uh, a hippo is giant, right? It's called a sea cow, and it's so incredibly big, and yet it can actually sprint across the floor of, like, a, you know, the ocean floor, the, the, the river floor. It could sprint. Do you know that when a, a hippo has a baby, it has a calf, a calf, do you know that it sends its, its baby to hippo school? For real. Like, I'm not even kidding. I didn't know about this. Like, all the calves that are born in a certain season, they all go to school together, and they learn about, like, how to stay away from lions and stuff from, like, a hippo teacher. It's really true. I had no clue. Um, hippos are the angriest animals that exist. <laughs> uh, hippos, if they catch you on land, they can run 20 miles an hour. You are going to lose a race to a hippo. You're going to do that. Here's the funniest thing. Uh, when a hippo wants to uh, um, show its territory, it will poop. And what it will do is it will take its poop and it will fling it with its tail all over the place as far as it can to say, this is my area, I took a dump on it. That's what it's doing, okay? That's what a hippo does, all right? Alligators. Let's talk about alligators. They will spontaneously grow body parts because they're almost immune to infection. They don't get any kind of infection. So if a body part falls off, it'll grow back most of the time. They are also one of the angriest creatures out there. They eat each other for fun. They will dress themselves up with sticks and fool unsuspecting birds. That's what alligators will do. Alligators have the strongest bite in the animal kingdom. And I didn't know this until I started researching. You guys know alligators can climb? Check it out. There's a picture. Show me. Yeah, look at that. Alligators can climb, for real. They climb up trees and they fall on people. I had no idea. Did you guys know this? This is exciting, right? You guys are ready to go to brunch. You're like, all right, I'm done for the day. They can climb. Why? Why are we talking about alligators and hippos in Scripture? Why is that happening? Oh, let's think about it. You're sitting on the Jordan River, right? And, you know, you're in a sub-Saharan part, or not a sub-Saharan, you're, you're in a, a northern part of Africa, and what animals are always there? Hippos and alligators. Well, hippos and crocodiles, most likely, right? And they're there, and, and I have to imagine people seeing those animals every day laughed at those animals, and were scared to death of those animals, and were in awe of those animals, and didn't quite understand those animals. Those animals were a little crazy, and were a, a little bit afraid, but also respected their power. And there was all these contradictory feelings that these people had going back and forth from the Jordan River, having to contend with some of these animals. In fact, one of the theologians, when I was reading commentary on this, said this. He, uh, he said that uh, these animals are images of the wild and free part of God that we cannot begin to control or understand. God will always be similar in marvel and mystery. And it's unwise for us to try and take the marvel and mystery away. It is no accident that these animals are placed here in this scripture to make way for such divine whimsy. So 
what the playwright is doing is not necessarily radical or profound. It's not theologically like changing everything. But the playwright is simply saying to Job, hey Job, stop creating God in your own image. Stop doing it. When you start doing that, you're gonna see that there is a God that is bigger and doing more in your suffering than you can ever imagine. And how does Job respond to this? How does Job respond to this God? I love it. I love what he says. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you asked, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. This is a man who just lost it all. Who lost everything. Who is scraping himself with pottery because of the boils on his skin. And he says, when I stop looking at you and creating you in my own image, all of a sudden the things that are so painful and the things that have hurt me and brought me close to death are things too wonderful for me to know. They're being reconciled in ways that I can't even begin to think about. Is it possible that our stuff right here on this tree, the pain, the suffering, the addiction, the sin, everything that's there, is it possible that God's working in that in ways that are too wonderful for us to even know? Is that a possibility? What does it look like? I think Jesus speaks to this. I really do. I think Jesus speaks to this. I'm going to tell you how. Uh, open up your Bibles, Matthew 13, or, or your Bible apps. We're going to read a parable. It's called The Weeds and the Wheat, okay? Because I think Jesus does speak to this thing here, okay? And I'm going to tell you the story, and this is the story. So uh, Jesus tells this parable to people, and he says there was an owner, and the owner uh, was sowing uh, wheat, okay? And he was sowing wheat in his field, and then uh, later on, a thief or an evil person or the evil one came by and on top of that we uh, wheat uh, sowed weeds, okay? And so the servants came along. And the servants came along and, and they said to the owner, they said, hey, owner, we need to chop these weeds down right away. Let's cut them down right now. We don't want the weeds in there. And this is what the owner says. I'm going to read it for you if I could find it. The owner says, no, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in the bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You know, when we create God in our own image, we immediately want to get rid of the thing that causes us pain. We immediately want to get rid of the thing that hurts us the most, immediately. Get rid of it fast. Get rid of it. There was a kid I went to high school with, and this kid had an accident where... Um, he got his arm caught in something, and he had to have his arm amputated right here, like just right here. And so he was in middle school. You guys know middle school, right? Brutal, brutal. And so in middle school, he just walked with his head down all the time and just upset. And, you know, middle school, so kids are making fun of him because he doesn't have an arm. Kids got no confidence whatsoever. And I was an acquaintance with him, so I didn't really talk to him very much and know him uh, all that well. But I remember once we got to high school, we got to ninth grade, and he was we went together, and all of a sudden, this kid's demeanor changed, and this is what he would do. He would walk up to you, and just to friends and acquaintances, he'd walk up, and he'd say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and he'd hold up this arm, and he'd go, and this is my best friend, Frankie. Say hi to Frankie, and he'd hold up this amputated arm, which is super disarming, right? Like, disarming? <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> And so people would start to laugh, and people would be like, oh, that's, that's kind of funny. Hey, Frank, you know, just like, hey, Frank, and that's what he started doing. Hey, hey, my name's so-and-so. 
this is my best friend Frankie, say hello. And you would see him at the mall, right? And you'd see him like talking to a group of girls, like, hey, say hello to Frankie, ladies. You know, like all of a sudden confidence comes back. This kid ends up being like one of the most popular kids in our school, right? This is one of the kids that like everybody loves and everybody goes to. And what is my point in this story? My point is sometimes the things that we think are our biggest weeds end up becoming our best and most growing wheat. That's my point. Sometimes the things that we think are, are the detriment or the pain or the stuff that hurts us the worst that we'll never get over become the things that help us grow, that help us thrive, that help us change this place more than anything else. My wife and I, I, and I say this all the time, the infertility that we experienced for years and years and years, uh, that stuff has become a story of hope and joy for so many people. Uh, I know so many people uh, you know, all around our neighborhoods and communities have gone through miscarriage, and I can't begin to tell you the pain that's felt, but I can't uh, begin to tell you either the, the, the stories of, of hope that come from, from that pain and the stories of life change that come from that pain and, and the stories of broken relationships and broken dreams and broken jobs. I can't begin to tell you how they're rectified and reconciled and they're more wonderful than people could ever imagine and the feeling uh, of, of being in loss and being uh, abused and being hurt I can't begin to tell you the stories of joy that comes through reconciliation they're there and that's what happens when we stop creating God in our own image all of a sudden these things that we want to get rid of these weeds that we want to kill become our best weed they become the thing that matters more than anything else and then conversely there's the things that I thought were my wheat that became my weeds those friends that we had that wonderful relationship, that person, oh, I'm sure we're going to marry them, and then we realize they are miserable. The job that we thought was so great, that thing we started doing that has become an addiction. You know, when we stop creating God in our own image, we're not so quick to pull out that weed, knowing that that weed can turn into something that is life-giving and good and fruitful. And that weed is God working and doing the thing that is more wonderful than we can imagine. So here's what I want us to do today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up here and we're going we're gonna to do communion together. And here's what we're going to do at communion. We're going to celebrate. I'm going to tell you why we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate because there's God. There's God and Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. And everybody thinks it's the end. Everybody thinks it's the weeds. Right? Everybody scatters. They go. They run away. Like People are like, what's up? And yet, it was just the beginning. It's just the beginning, right? It's God creating something more wonderful than we can imagine. So we're going to come up and we're going to celebrate that. The band's going to come up. They're going to play. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take communion. I want you to go over to that tree. And I want you to take two of those prayers off of that tree. Don't put anything on it. I want you to take two off. And we don't need to know who the person is that wrote it. That's not the point. We want to keep these anonymous. But I want you to grab those during communion. I want you to pray, first off, that you will stop creating God in your own image. That you will see that God is able to do something more wonderful than you can imagine. And then secondly, I want you to pray for whoever wrote that stuff that God is using that, that weed, and making it the best, the most growing, the most fruitful wheat. Amen? Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you use this pain, this stuff we want to get rid of, and you say, no, I'm making it perfect. It is part of my plan of reconciliation. It's part of who I am. We thank you, God, that, that we are not yours to possess, but you are ours to possess. We are not in control of you, but you are in control of our lives, and you love us unconditionally. 
Lord, help us to remember that our endings are never truly our endings, but they're a beginning of a new life in you. Praise in your name.